This is ContactTalkRadio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on TuneIn.com, Hing.fm, and Upsnap Mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Seek Reality Radio with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about what the afterlife evidence and modern science combine to tell us is true about your reality. You have nothing to fear. You are eternal and you are perfectly loved. Knowing the truth changes everything. Now, here is Roberta. There is one reality. There's always been just one reality, but we've had trouble understanding it because our best sources of information about it are people who, this is a real inconvenience, they no longer live in bodies. They have trouble communicating with us. However, here at the start of the 21st century, it's finally possible for you and me to learn from the experts and begin to understand our one reality and then to use what we're learning to wonderfully transform our lives. You are an eternal being. You never began and you never will end. And really knowing that changes everything. My name is Roberta Grimes and you're listening to Seek Reality on the Contact Talk Radio Network. Every week at this time we'll be spending an hour together working to better understand that one glorious reality in which we all live. Today we have a very special guest. This is the the Reverend, or Doctor, as she prefers to be called, Karen E. Herrick, who's a spiritual counselor, president of the Academy for Spiritual and Consciousness Studies, and she is at the Center for Children of Alcoholics, Inc., which is located where, Karen? In Red Bank, New Jersey. In in New Jersey. Well, welcome. We're so glad to have you. you here. She has a book out, too, called You're Not Finished Yet, which I've been through, and it's a wonderful book. An easy read for people who are from or living in dysfunctional families, especially, to help them uh, fix their lives. And we're going to have to have Karen on another time because I happen to be an adult child of an alcoholic myself. So uh, <laughs> that's a whole other topic that, that I think a lot of people will be interested in hearing about. But we've been talking about the reality in which we live and getting a hold on it. Now, there are so many aspects of it, it's hard to even even comprehend how to get started. But we've talked about what that reality is, how it affects our relationship with the dead. But how now does it affect our relationship with the living? And how does it affect our relationship with ourselves? That's something that Karen could really help us with. So I'm hoping that's where our focus can be. Karen, how did you get into doing this? And, And just help us get started. Okay, well, I I was raised in an alcoholic family, and I married and divorced an alcoholic, and I had three daughters, and I went back to college, and when I was um, getting my master's in Rutgers, they had an alcohol minor, and I decided, oh, you know, my my father drank, my husband drank, maybe I'll I'll take this, right? And so I did, and, and I was, I mean, they talked about my life and my family, and I thought, my heavens, I had to wait to get a master's degree to find out about alcoholism, so... I went and taught it at a local junior college, and I just started the Center for Children of Alcoholics. And at that time, I was not at all spiritual. I, um, being raised in an alcoholic family, my mother was Catholic, my father was Protestant. I mean, they argued about everything, and they also argued about that. 
So I never knew, you know, where was God and what was it all about? And God wouldn't want to be here anyway. So I just figured, you know, I was on my own. <laughs> and then um, as I um, got more into helping people, um, I was sent to this or decided to go to this training on transpersonal psychology, which I, I had never heard about Carl Jung and um, spiritual experiences or anything like that. And so I went and I had a spiritual experience there where I felt um, another breath come through my body while I was doing this holotropic breath work, which is you lay down on the floor and um, they put you in a meditative state and you listen to music that activates your chakra system, which your chakras are along your spine. And um, it was the first time in my life where they said, don't think, just breathe. And so I did. And I went into this state, altered state of consciousness, and I felt this breath come through me. I didn't know whose breath it was, but I just had, did what I was told, and I just kept breathing. And when I came out of it, I knew there was a God. And I knew um, the 21 people there with me, with, that we were all connected, and I knew we were all connected to everybody on Earth. And it was just a wonderful, I mean, I, there are no words to explain how I felt, but this awe of oh, my God, there is a God. And I didn't know what had happened to me, and I was very, probably much quieter then than I am now. Um, and you, we went to lunch. You drew, you drew a mandala, which is a circular picture uh, that showed um, what I had experienced, which was just a flower and grass and some sun. And then you went to lunch, and I felt really weird. I felt like I had left my body, and... Um, I didn't know what to call it. I wasn't really prepared for any of it. And um, that afternoon, we sat in a group and showed our, our mandala drawings, and, and the um, leader said, oh, well, you had a rebirth. That's a rebirth picture. And I thought, I did? And um, that was it. That was the explanation. Yeah, and, well. and then everybody went out for pizza that night, and I thought, I'm not leaving. I mean, I, we were in a... Uh, a nunnery, right? And I thought, I'm not going out in the real world. I, I'm just not prepared. So I was still in this altered state, didn't know what was wrong with me, and thought, well, you must be crazy. Now you know there's God and what happened to you. And that took me a couple of years to figure out what did happen to me, that I did have a spiritual experience, and um, that I now was changed. My life was different. I did believe in God, and I always believed in nature. It was kind of like the American Indian view of uh, the world. I, I knew that something higher had made nature, because I loved to garden and be outside, but I wasn't sure what it was all about. And then I started studying, um, and I studied, um, I went to the ARE and studied Edgar Casey, and then eventually I decided to get a doctorate in spiritual psychology, and um, my internship was about naming different types of spiritual experiences. That's, that's extraordinary. I, I, you're way ahead of me on a lot of this, I must say. But the reality is, I think everybody has spiritual experiences. We all yes. have spirit guides. We all are in constant relationship with God. The only block there is, is the block that's in us. And when I try to tell people that, they... they uh, they resist it. It's strong. It's, it's amazing to me how strong the resistance to spirituality is in people who have never experienced the difference that comes when you have an enlightened life. Um, are, are you helping people make that connection? Is that part of what you do in your work? 
That is part of what I do. Um, a lot of people come to me now because they know that I am spiritual, quote-unquote, and many times they just think I'm weird, but they want to come because <laughs> something weird has happened to them, and so that's good. Um, but I think people are afraid of what they can't see, and if they haven't experienced the awe of it and the beauty of it, then they would be afraid of the unknown. Yeah, but I find I... it's important to read... Um, you know, to uh, decide what it is, what do you believe in? What came from your family of origin religions that, that you still keep, if anything? And, and so what don't you believe in? Sometimes we start with that. Um, yeah. But people um, sometimes are coming to me for uh, spiritual problems. Sometimes they're coming, well, because um, somebody in their family is using drugs or alcohol or their kids are having, you know, all kinds of um, substance abuse problems. So... I, I deal with that first, um, but then I always try to find a deeper meaning to, I, I believe that everything happens for a reason, and how is this going to change you? Um, how are you going to see the world differently? And what have you used before to survive? Because whether you came from an alcoholic home or not, you probably came from dysfunction of some kind, and you have a lot of survival skills you don't even know about. Um, and then do you pray? And many people pray and don't believe. And, really? But that's that's a good place to start is to pray. I also encourage them to, um, to get some kind of a spiritual book or some material that they can read every day so that they start their day with something peaceful. And um, I do have, I have some books that I recommend coming from an alcoholic home, and Al-Anon has a wonderful little book, One Day at a Time, that, um, that they use. Al-Anon is a helping place for people to go who are, in an active relationship with an alcoholic or a drug addict. And that one day at a time book just calms people down because it makes you think that today is a new day. No matter what's happening in my life, I have choices today. And what choices am I going to make? So when people come to you and are close to spirit, do you have any stories that you can tell us about people who maybe we're in this kind of a rut where we're closed and we're able to open themselves. It certainly happened to you and uh, happened to me in the most amazing ways. And I want to talk about my own experience with you later and, and get your reaction to it. But, sure. but this must be a glorious thing you're doing to, to one by one help people who come to you to open to spirit and have a relationship with spirit. And and I, I guess I, I want to say to, to people listening, we're not talking about converting to a religion. Um, I, my, most of the people that I know who are really spiritual are kind of post-religion. Their relationship is directly with God and, and their guides, and one of their guides may well be uh, Jesus or people that we think of as religious figures. Um, but what what what's a typical person who comes to you? What What is that person likely to experience in terms of spiritual growth? Well, let's say... Um Number one, I think, what is your definition of a spiritual experience? And mine is a transcendent relationship between a person and a higher being. And it has a quality that goes beyond a specific religious affiliation. Um, I mean, I, whether you're in the Catholic or Protestant religion, nobody's ever told you that you could have a spiritual experience. I mean, right. saints had them. Saint right. Paul had them. Um, but, and they're in the Bible all the time, but you, nobody said, hey, you could have one. So I think, number one, that's a great thing to know, that whatever has happened in the Bible, Jesus was right. We have all of those abilities, you know? Yes. Um, so say a nurse comes in. We'll just take a nurse, because um, I work with a lot of nurses. And 
maybe her husband's alcoholic because nurses are caregivers. And so they, she comes in and we help her with that or I help her with that, talk about that, what's happening in her family, what's happening to her kids. And then, you know, it's interesting because spirit directs me. I might say to her at some point as we get through the really big problem and we're just talking about life and where she wants to go and that kind of stuff. Let me say, you know, I was just reading about um, a a research um, on some nurses in Chicago that had had near-death experience people in their hospital. And I don't know why I'm saying this. I mean, I have read it, but (laughs) I'm just guided to say this to her. And and that the people in Chicago put an ad in the paper and they said any nurses or people that have had anything, we'll just say weird, happened to them in a hospital in the last year, please call this number. So um, about 20 or 30 people called the number, and they had all had a near-death experience in the hospital where, you know, they were either in a car accident or having a heart operation or something, and they left their body and floated above the doctor and could hear and and see everything that was going on. And then I said, you know, then there were some people that were having one in their bed, and when the nurse came into the room, the nurse saw this blue glow all around the person's body, like they had a a nightlight inside of them. Wow. And um, I said, and so when they were in this research project, the nurses um, didn't really know what was happening, but they just took care of of the patients like, you know, they're taught to do. And, um, but afterwards, when they were then educated about what is a near death and people go through a tunnel and see a light and see their dead relatives and, and they're told it's not their time to die, so they have to come back. Now, that's one kind of spiritual experience. And when they come back, they know something weird has happened to them like I did, and they really believe that they have to change their relationships in their life. They have to make them more deep and more fulfilling. That's all they know. Right. Um, so anyway, I just tell her this story about nurses, and she says, you know, I've seen those blue glows around people's bodies. Wow. Wow. (laughs) And I said, you have? And she said, yeah, and I never told anybody. And I said, why not? She said, well, because if you tell somebody you're seeing glows around patients' bodies, they're going to send you to a psychiatrist and they're going to put that in your record. So, you know, they can't, like, we can't talk about that kind of stuff. So (laughs) tell me about that, you know? So she tells me about that. And just the fact that I just said that and she had had it happen and I validated that it's real and other nurses have had it in Chicago, you know, she goes out with a different feeling about spirit, right. a different understanding, right? And then when yes. she comes back, you know, she many times we have synchronistic events after that. Now, that's like random coincidences that happen. And um, you can have synchronicities that happen to you, especially when you're in transition, two meaningful events and it means something to you and isn't it weird that that happened or isn't it weird that Aunt Kathy called and I was thinking about her right before the phone rang you know yes. and, and so they, they start to tell you stuff like that you know I just thought well you know you understand all this other weird stuff I'm going to tell you some, some new weird stuff so then you get talking about it and, and it just deepens their life it deepens the uh, therapy for sure um, and then I, I have another example, if you want, about, you know, someone who comes in and, and their spouse has died, so they're in chronic grief, and um, it's especially difficult when the death happened, you know, immediately, like this one gentleman I'm thinking about, his, his um, he was in the kitchen with his wife, and he went up to take a shower, and he was coming down for breakfast, and when he came down, his wife was dead on the kitchen floor. <gasps> wow. And Lord. such a shock, you know, they're having a great life, and 
so anyway, he comes to me a few months afterwards because he can't get out of this grief. He doesn't know why it happened to him, and now he's got two teenage kids to raise, and how is he going to do that? And But he really wants his wife back. So, um, so after a couple of months of grief therapy, what I suggest is that he go to see a medium so that maybe you, we can't, we can't say exactly what's going to happen if you go see a medium, but if you go to a good one, somebody is going to come through from over on the other side, and they're going to tell you about your wife, or maybe your wife will even come through. Yeah. And, she'll, and she'll tell you about the heart attack she had, and did you cause it, and you know all the things you're really worried about. Well, so I work on him for a couple months, and luckily, um, a cousin of his had come to me before, so he kind of knew I was a little weird anyway, and then <laughs> she had gone to a medium years ago. So here we, he has two women telling him that this would be a good thing to do. So finally he goes, and um, he comes back, and he's much lighter, much lighter. He's not so heavy. He's not so um, in such grief, and because um, his wife did come through, and her parents came through, and an uncle came through, and... Yeah. He says they're all up there playing cards, and I'm down yeah, here right. doing life. He said, this isn't fair. It really doesn't <laughs> So anyway, we have to talk about where is it written that life is fair. But no. he he knows where his wife is. He knows she wants him to have a happy life. And um, and she gave him some, you know, some guidance about what to do. So, and, and he wouldn't go again, he said, but he's glad he went. And he only went because he was pushed. Yeah. No, I, I, I think that's... That so often happens with people who are in grief. It, it, it is just life-changing to get finally make that contact. Now, yes. we, we're, we're about to go away for a minute. When we come back, I'm going to tell um, Dr. Karen Herrick, who is our wonderful, wonderful guest and who specializes in how these extraordinary experiences affect our lives and how to use them to transform our lives. I'm going to tell her what happened to me when I was 8 and again when I was 20, which is the reason why I have spent my entire life trying to understand what comes next in the afterlife and and ended up on the radio talking to you today. So we'll be right back. This is Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. When she was eight, Roberta Grimes had an amazing experience of light. She spent the next 50 years researching the afterlife to try and understand what had happened to her. And the result is her book, The Fun of Dying. Find out what really happens next. Roberta's book is Cliff Notes to 200 Years of Abundant and Consistent Afterlife Evidence. It will show you why extinction is impossible for you, explain how you can enjoy the death process, and describe for you in wonderful detail the glorious heaven that awaits us all. Available on Amazon, in Kindle, and in print, The Fun of Dying will start you on a thrilling and life-affirming voyage as you learn the glorious truth about who you really are. If you'd like to talk about some of the things that are discussed on Seek Reality Radio, come and join the welcoming community at afterlifeforums.com. Roberta and Andrew manage afterlife forums in an atmosphere of love and acceptance. If you are very ill, if you have lost a loved one, or if you just wonder about these topics, come and join the fun at afterlifeforums.com.
Welcome back to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. Um, we're talking to Dr. Karen Herrick. And Karen, I didn't tell anyone this story about, I'm about to tell you for, until I was 42 years old. Um, okay. As you said, people don't tell people these things because what will other, I don't, I, it, it's deeper even than that they'll put you in an institution. It's deeper even than that they'll, laugh at you um i mean i was eight years old the first time this happened uh i it was it was such an extraordinarily personal intimate experience it was too sacred to share um i figured i'd learn about it on my own this is what happened i was a good little christian child and uh when i in april of 1955 i was eight years old and i went to sleep a happy normal little christian child woke up in the middle of the night and knew knew there is no God. And I was terrified. I was so frightened. I couldn't even get out of bed and run to my parents' bed. I I was, I mean, what is there if there's no God? Then there was a brilliant flash in the room, light, like burning magnesium. You could look at the light, but it was that, it was intensely bright, just a flash. And a young male voice said, you wouldn't know what it is to have me if you didn't know what it is to be without me. I will never leave you again. Wow. I remember what that room looked like. I remember the awful lavender wallpaper with the cornflowers on it that I myself had chosen when I was like seven. Right. Because of the light. It's, one of the things about these experiences is they stay immediate memories. It's as if it just happened last night, and it happened yes. almost 60 years ago. Right. And I went back to sleep because when you're eight, everything is normal because everything is amazing. So nothing is really amazing. I assumed that if you forget, they remind you. Isn't that nice? And I thought I would hear about what had happened to me as a normal thing in the course of going to church or even in school. I mean, it's normal, right? Right. I I never learned anything about it at all. And I was pretty frustrated because, of course, I was not willing to ask a question. So I even I went to Smith College, one of the at the times and I think still one of the best colleges there is and uh, majored in religion purely so I could know what that was. And still, I never asked a question, never got an answer. So. The summer when I turned 20, I was pretty disgusted and depressed. I mean, what can you do if you're a religion major, um, except maybe be a nun, and I wasn't even Catholic, and, you know, what do you do? I didn't know what to do with it. Right. So I came home from my summer jobs. This is now we're talking broad daylight, and a 20-year-old sat down on my bed, feeling very depressed, and over my right shoulder came that same light and splashed in the room. It was, that was, it, was a, it was not a flash in the middle. It was a splash over my right shoulder. The same young male voice said, I will never leave you. And then, of course, I felt like the dunce of the universe because as far as I could determine, nobody else had ever had this experience. Right. It happened to me twice. So for years thereafter, sadly, I would pray, okay, God, I remember you're there. I'll never forget that. Please don't ever do that to me again. So in all this time since, I've never had that experience. Right. But it's a transforming experience. I, I, it, it was astonishing to me it never happened to anyone else. But then come, um, when did he die? I, it must have been um, early, very early 90s, right around 1990. This is after, of course, near-death experiences after all of that. I still hadn't told nobody this. My father was dying of a stroke. I think it was 1991. So I'm I'm driving to see my mother. I went up every day to spend the day with her, and that was back when phones were on, uh, you know, in your car. It was your car phone. So I picked up my car phone, called her, and 
she was all excited and giddy. Now, this is a woman whose husband of 50 years is, is dying in her house. She's all happy. I said, what happened? And she said, oh, I can't tell you, but it was wonderful. It was wonderful. So I said, you saw a light, didn't you? She said, how did you know that? Somebody said something. You didn't. How could you know that? This is the first time I'd ever heard it. It happened to somebody else. So when I got to her kitchen, you know, we played, I'll show you mine, you show me yours, which is the only way people will talk about this. And I finally learned it happened to somebody else. So then I started even daring to think about it. And of course, the same thing is in the Bible. There are at least two that are very famous and familiar to everybody. Moses with his burning bush that's not consumed. That was a, a, an experience of light. Right. Paul on the way to Tarsus, right. flash of light, he falls down and he hears Jesus say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? There may right. be others, but those are the two obvious ones. And then I felt really stupid that I'd never made the connection, but we don't tend to connect our daily lives, and this is as integral to my daily life as anything ever, ever could be. We don't tend to connect our daily lives with the, with the lives of the greats of the Bible. That's right. <laughs> but there it is. Now, Tell me, tell me, Karen, is that, that's a, this is a more unusual kind of experience, right? Well, it's a light experience, so it's a spiritual experience. I mean, there was a transcendent being there that said, I'm here for you. Right. <laughs> right? Right. And, and, and I since have come to sort of puzzle out why, because why me, you know, is the next question. I think that... I signed up before birth because one of the things we'll be talking about in a later segment of this program is is uh, life plans. We all have one. And I think that when I was making mine, I sort of signed up to do this work I'm doing now. But I said, look, I'm never going to remember. I'm, I probably won't even dare do the research because how scary it is to research death if you're not sure it's going to be a good good answer. I mean, if it's not going to be good news, I'd rather not know than find out there is nothing after death. So I said, look, you're going to have to do something pretty spectacular. And I think it was my guide who did that. Um, and I think it was prearranged and did okay. it twice. Um, right. What do you think? That's what I've always thought, but you're an expert. What do you think? Well, I think <laughs> what <laughs> Kenneth Ring found out, he was a... Um, Ph.D. in Connecticut, and after Raymond Moody wrote his book in 1975 about near-death experiences, which contain a light also, um, Ken Ring said, why did this group of people have them and this group didn't have them, right? Right. So he decided to study that, and so he did. And the, the only thing that he found that was the same with the group that, that had them was that they had a highly dysfun- dysfunctional and traumatic home life. Really? Yes, really. So oh. that that one of that is the reason that you, if you lived in an alcoholic or a dysfunctional home, where you had to disassociate as a kid, and that's what I did when my parents fought. I just pretended they weren't fighting, and oh. I would dream about all kinds of things, you know, in my head, just to, so I wouldn't have to listen to them screaming at each other. So that's just one example. But any any kind of a home where you had to disassociate as a kid, not be in the room, even though you're in the room. You learned how to disassociate from your body. Well, not that you left your body, but you kind of left the scene. And in school, right. we've all done that. I don't like this math teacher. I'm not listening to what she's saying. <laughs> right. Right. On the beat, right? Right, right. So absolutely right. the ability to do that as a child, and also, I think, if you've seen the light as a child, then as an adult, you're going to, if you have a car accident or a heart operation or whatever, a trauma, you're going to leave your body quicker 
or and see these things than somebody who did not live in a dysfunctional home. Now, since a dysfunctional home is normal in our society, I don't I don't know where the five percent are that didn't have it. You know, <laughs> right, but, um, right. Supposedly, they wouldn't be as easily able to have a spiritual experience as those of us who have lived in trauma. Isn't that interesting? I never made the connection. I did grow up uh, with a very alcoholic father, um, and um, I was the oldest child, and I know there's a whole syndrome, which we'll talk about in another segment of this program, you and I, for oldest children. I have every symptom. Um, And I have a sister who uh, had an entirely year and a half younger because she was the youngest child of an alcoholic. She had an entirely different life and childhood. Um, And I have no memories of the things that she remembers vividly. Um, That's right. And that's also interesting to me that you've, you've just uh, taken me to another level of understanding. I I still think though, Karen, that this is something that I had to have happen. If indeed my life plan included the research I did, I think I had to have something extraordinary happen, but well, maybe you did. It would have so been... maybe that was one of the reasons you picked an alcoholic family. Oh, that's true. That's true. You know, you're, so you, you're taking so me you to me ever did. deeper levels of clue of cluefulness as opposed to cluelessness, where I think I was living before. How right. great! Um, yeah, because I've I actually have been told by by readers one of the things you do when you do the research I've done is you do a lot of work with mediums, even though you don't, though you don't have grief issues, and a lot of work with psychics to do the research. I mean, is this real? I'm very skeptical by nature. And one of the right. things I've been told several times is that my birth family is not, neither my mother nor my father is a member of my soul group, which is another thing we'll be talking about on another program, how our soul groups work. But um, the reason that I chose them was that, that I needed that particular home and to be born at that particular time. That's right. So, okay, that's Tia telling me things that I never would have ever figured out on my own. That's really exciting. So It is he, exciting, isn't it, that there's a purpose to what we live? <laughs> yes, yes. Because one of the things that we're trying to do on this program is to help people understand that we are living in this greater reality. Part of it, most of it, we can't see, we can't touch or taste it. We have no sort of physical awareness of it. But we are not physical beings. We're actually spiritual beings. The physical is a tiny part of who we are. And when we open ourselves to that fact, there is so much information to be gleaned and so much healing and comfort and joy and growth to come from that. Um, and it's just, it's just fun to, it's fun to first understand it's there and then to, second to do the voyage of trying to understand it ever better. Right. We're talking to, to Dr. Karen Herrick, who is a fount of information for me personally, um, and she's a, with the Center for Children of Alcoholics, Inc., in Red Bank, New Jersey. Um, if people want, may I give your phone number, Karen? Oh, sure. Uh-huh. Um, if, if people are interested in talking to her, her number is 732-530-8513, or you can email her. What's your email address, Karen? At Karen, K-A-R-E-N at Karen Herrick, H-E-R-R-I-C-K dot com. Great, great. Um, We all, how can I put this? I almost said we all think we're healthy. I I guess think we don't necessarily. Only people like me who are adult children think we're healthy. But um, adult children of alcoholics. But in point of fact, we all sort of assume that our lives, what's going on around us, are sort of a given, you know. Right. This 
this these relationships are a given the way he is or she is is a given i i'm in this rut i see this all the time with people and try to help them understand i'm not a counselor my goodness i'm the opposite of a counselor i i probably need more counseling than they do but I, I try to help people understand what infinite the help there is from spirit if they open themselves to the possibilities this is especially important if you're doing grief work because every and and we we i, I just did a, a podcast to be done on the 3rd so we'll have been a week ago that it was broadcast um, with um, Dr. Craig Hogan, in which he says, and I think it's true, everybody who has died is trying to get word to you that they're fine. If you love someone and you're grieving, that person you love is trying to get through to you. And the only reason you're not getting the information is you have blocks to that information. Um, And Someone like Karen, or certainly someone like Dr. Hogan, can help you see that and help you unblock yourself. But if you don't unblock yourself, you're kind of closing yourself off to the kind of comfort that's possible for you. Yes, going to a medium is wonderful. But the part of the problem is that there are mediums and then there are mediums. It's very hard right. to know what the right ones are. Um, there are there, and there's a. a, a I should write down everything ahead of time because I can't think of it on the fly when I'm talking. But um, there are there's a center in Arizona. I will come up with it. I promise, and I'll try to do it uh, very soon. And let you know what it is. That that vets these. Um, oh, Windbridge Institute. Look it up. Wind Windbridge Institute. You can you Google it. They actually do double blind studies testing of mediums, and they have lists of mediums to have been tested. Again, that's Windbridge Institute. Um, but we can't vouch, neither Karen nor I can vouch for their mediums. Um, I'm not sure they can either, because part of the problem with connecting with mediums is that there are three people involved, and the lines are very, very shaky. The right. Pe- um, the way I understand it, we, they can't guarantee you your ex-wife or your wife's going to come in who's dead. <clears throat> but, you know, when you take three items there um, to a good medium, three items of the person who died... Um, pretty much people get some answer. At least maybe I'm just sending always to reputable mediums, which is good. Yeah. Um, but I, I usually send to people, I always send to people that I know somebody who's gone there or I've gone myself. Yes, yeah. Um, it's, and that's the best thing to do. So if you have a good friend who's gone and she swears by this medium, well, then that's a good one to try if you're going to try. State of Arizona, University of Arizona also studied mediums years ago and you know they have a percentage a rate of percentage like Alison Dubois on what the television show was about her she had an 85 percent um yes you know hit rate which is excellent that that was Dr. Gary Schwartz who is a wonderful wonderful I want to say character he sort of is he's he's just a dear man I visited him actually about a month and a half ago and he will be on uh with us um on at Seek Reality on Clear Consciousness uh, Media in the fall and uh he he uh he d- did double and triple blind blind tests and he wrote a book called um Oh, which name has escaped me, but it'll come back to me in a minute. Um, but he wrote a book about his studies of mediums and, oh, the afterlife experiments. That's what it is. Dr. Gary Schwartz, the afterlife experiments. There are some good ones. Why is it so difficult? Um, I, I can give you what I think is the reason why, um, just briefly, and that's it's that every level of reality exists exactly where we are separated only by their vibratory rate. So it's as if we're on channel four of your television 
and they're on channel seven of the same television. The television is your mind. Right now, your mind is tuned to this level of this this channel, the Earth channel, the the, the physical reality channel. When you when you die, you simply tune in a higher frequency rate, and you pick up a whole new equally solid reality, just as you can pick up a whole new equally real seeming TV show. It's that simple, but also that impossible then to communicate. Imagine your channel four newsman trying to talk to your channel seven newsman without a cell phone, and they're both on the air. It should be impossible, but it's not, because over the millennia, the dead primarily seem to have been the ones who have done this. They've worked out ways to make it sort of happen. Um, and mediums are people whose minds are specifically tuned to be able to talk to dead be- mediums mentally. And those dead mediums are the ones who really are bringing your uh, loved ones through. That's what seems to be happening. What do you think, Karen? I think that um, <clears throat> that there are people, on you know, spirits on the other side that want to come, want to talk to us, and that there's people here that want to talk to them. And um, what we have to remember, like I, I call it chill therapy, where sometimes I'm talking to a client and I get these chills all through my body. Uh-huh. And that, that means to me that I'm saying what they need to hear. Because sometimes they'll say to me, well, you know, two weeks ago you said blah, blah. And I, I said I did, and I don't remember saying that. So that was like kind of channeled through me, right? Yeah. Um, so it's important for, I think people shut down the natural intuitive process that they have, that something's trying to get through to them. I have a story where um, I went to a conference in, this, in New York City, and then um, I was coming back with a friend through the village, and we parked the car in the street, and we were going to go have lunch. And, of course, you go to a conference, you wear some nice things and your best jewelry and all that, and so all that's in the trunk. And I'm thinking, I get out of the car to put the money in the meter, and I, I said to this friend, I said, you know, this car is going to be robbed. Oh, wow. And she's, what are you talking about? The beautiful Sunday? You know, look at all these people on the street. How can the car be right? What's the matter with you? And I think, well, maybe she's right, right? So anyway, put the money in the meter. We go to lunch. We come back. We go home. We get to New Jersey. We open the trunk. It's completely empty. Oh, my. Oh, rats. <laughs> so, yeah, all my, all my stuff, my computer, my jewelry, my clothes, everything uh, that I love. Listen but, to spirit. I, when they and I said to you. myself, Karen... <laughs> I said to myself, isn't it too bad that voice wasn't louder? And then I thought to myself, Karen, isn't it too bad you didn't pay attention to that voice? It was loud enough. (laughs) It was loud enough to tell you the car was going to be robbed. You even said it out loud. So that was self-spirit, right? They want to help you, you know? It's it's astonishing, um, yes, how much they do. I keep saying to myself every day, listen to that little voice. Where is the little voice and what is it telling you? Because all the thoughts you have are not your own. Yeah. And that no, was a very uh, expanding thought to me, that the thoughts that came into my mind are not all mine. They belong to spirits, spiritual guides, uh, uh, positive ancestors, people that are trying to help me. Yeah, well, it's, so, it's extraordinary. What, what, we're, when we come back, we're going to talk about a little bit more about how to work with our guides, because that's a question I often get. And uh, people think it's a lot more complicated than it really is. This is Secret Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. You are an eternal being. You never began and you never will end. And we're having fun every day with that fact. Our guest today is the wonderful Dr. Karen Herrick, and we'll be right back.
When she was eight, Roberta Grimes had an amazing experience of light. She spent the next 50 years researching the afterlife to try and understand what had happened to her. And the result is her book, The Fun of Dying. Find out what really happens next. Roberta's book is Cliff Notes to 200 Years of Abundant and Consistent Afterlife Evidence. It will show you why extinction is impossible for you, explain how you can enjoy the death process, and describe for you in wonderful detail the glorious heaven that awaits us all. Available on Amazon, in Kindle, and in print, The Fun of Dying will start you on a thrilling and life-affirming voyage as you learn the glorious truth about who you really are. If you'd like to talk about some of the things that are discussed on Seek Reality Radio, come and join the welcoming community at afterlifeforums.com. Roberta and Andrew manage Afterlife Forums in an atmosphere of love and acceptance. If you are very ill, if you have lost a loved one, or if you just wonder about these topics, come and join the fun at afterlifeforums.com. Welcome back to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes on the Contact Talk Radio Network. We're talking with Dr. Karen Herrick, who is a spiritual counselor. Um, you have a PhD in, what, what, what exactly is your PhD in, Karen? Well, it's actually in philosophy, but I specialized in spiritual experiences. Wow. And, and I wanted to, um, to teach other therapists about what is a spiritual experience, because psychology, of course, um, if you're not Jungian, you don't believe that people could have some of these experiences. Yes. And so I wanted to um, study other therapists, and I thought if I had one, there's got to be other therapists that have had them. Yes. And I found that about 80-some percent of the therapists, I, I studied about 140 uh, therapists. I, I gave them an hour talk and then gave them a test before, a pre-test and then a post-test, and talked about transpersonal psychology, which is the psychology that, uh, teaches you you can go beyond your yourself uh, to a higher power or God, and um, that there is something waiting for you there. So anyway, most of these um, therapists had had them, and they had, had clients who had had them. Now, if you go to a regular um, psychologist um, or a therapist, that's what my clients tell me, that they're not going to believe this stuff. You're the only one that believes me. So I want to really help other people in the psychology field um, learn about this, but I may not do that. They, that may be my goal, but the higher power may have a goal that I just talk to regular people about this and help them, you know? That, that, that's a very, I think, profound point. One of the things that happens when you come to understand what's really going on is that you start thinking, um, start living on a much bigger stage. Eternity is a big stage, and you stop thinking about what you yourself feel driven to do, and you start thinking about what you had, what your life plan was, and how you're, you know, the, each of us is a little pixel dot in this enormous painting, and you start thinking about what that dot is supposed to be, not what you maybe want it to be, and don't you think that's liberating, Karen, because um, you aren't, it's not up to you to fix the world, which is I know what you want to do, and what I want to do, but it's up to us to just be our perfect little pixel dot, and uh, and that's that's what we're trying to do. 
And also to be able to, um, you know, take in whatever signs you get or synchronistic experiences you get. Uh, Carl Jung believed that chance rules. And if you just think about that every day, what is going to come into my life today that I'm not expecting that's going to lead me in a, in a different direction or to a different person? And people are angels sent to us to give us messages. Yes. And you have to listen to these people. You need to be open. Well, I mean, you don't need to be. You can stay and be closed. But you'll have a better, happier life if you're more open to what is available to me. And I am ready to take it in. Yes, yes. I, th- I think that the bedrock truth that you just expressed is that living in accordance with spirit makes you deliriously happy. Um, it's the opposite of to me, anyway, of following a strict religion which closes you in. You've got to, if you step one, uh, one foot over whatever line that religion has established, you're dead, you go to hell or whatever. Uh, when you actually become spiritual and you live in accordance with spirit, you open yourself to so much joy. Um, it's it's uh, almost, I have friends and family members who think it's pathological that I'm always so happy. And that's what happens to you. And to me, all by itself, if you have no other reason to, to try to open yourself to spirit, the joy that comes from it and from feeling the purpose that it gives your life is, is certainly worth the effort. Yes, Tell us uh, a- now a lot of people have problems with spirit because it's an authority. You know, they yes. think of God and the, the guy with the beard on the throne, right? And a lot of people, but not just alcohol, coming from an alcoholic family. If you come from an alcoholic family, you don't like authority at all because the authority right. was not consistent. It was not there for you. But a lot of people do not like authority. So maybe it's easier for some people not to even call it spirit, but to say, you know, I'm just going to go out in nature and kind of enjoy nature and, and just be there. And I'm going to let my intuition guide me more. You know, that, yes. those two, nature and intuition, are two very spiritual places to be. Right. And you don't even have to think about spirit. I think people have to learn at their own rate. And um, sometimes when they, you talk about spirit, well, just that word, somebody might think ghost. They might associate ghosts. That's right. And, True. And people are afraid of ghosts, you know? Yes. Yes. They should that's be, a, but they are. That, that's <laughs> a very important point. Dead people. <laughs> no. Sp- spirit is actually part of your own mind. Your mind is part of God. And spirit is part of God. It's this is the this is the most intimate connection you can possibly have, and it's the most loving one. Um, I I administer on AfterlifeForums.com, and um, just had a question from someone there about how to work with your spirit guides, and and the question was asked in the in the context of how of, of sort of formal, you know, as if these are very serious beings who you know we have to approach them just right or they'll get cranky as if they're gods in a way or or demigods and the opposite is actually true um most guides in my experience are very close eternal friends of yours and they've signed up to take care of you during this time to, to give you guidance during this lifetime help you stay on track and stuff or sometimes um depending on what you're doing you'll have several others who are doing specific things in your life, trying to help them make you make the most of your life. But the way you, you respond to them is just the way Karen, the way Karen has been talking about responding to them, as just almost as if they're, they're thoughts in your mind. 
if you hear a thought in your that, that sort of seems to come from out of the blue and you've opened yourself, just open yourself to spirit. I'm here, guides, I'll do, you know, I just want to be part, I want you to be part of my life, just open yourself to them. They'll they'll come right in and you'll you'll hear their thoughts in your mind. Or if you're if you have a question to ask of your guides, what I find works really well is to have it in, you know, the thought in your head before you go to sleep. You know, I'm, I'm wondering if I should take this job. I'm wondering what this or that means. Just go to sleep with that thought and then pay attention to the first thought that you have when you wake up in the morning. Not always, but sometimes that will be something that they have told you during the night and left it as a memory in your mind. I write, and if I have a question about what I'm writing or I'm stumped by something, I find I always have the answer in the morning. It's just extraordinary. Um, so I've learned, you know, if I'm if I hit a writer's block, I just go to do something else and sleep. Literally, sleep on it. Sleeping on it seems to be when we get a chance to have our guides come into our lives. It's really interesting, Freud. You know, who isn't my favorite person, but he um, had to defend that we had an unconscious. When you think about that, that was pretty much genius. And yes. one of the things. He, one of the reasons he used to prove we had an unconscious, which is where these thoughts come, how they come through us, I believe, is through our unconscious when we dream and stuff. Um, he said people would write things down at night and ask questions, and they would get answers in the morning. So that was one of his proofs that we had one. Yes, yes. And and what and they, they call it a subconscious, many people do, but it's really a superconscious. It's a higher mind, a higher self. It's you, but most of of you is really not conscious in your brain at any moment. Your brain doesn't generate you at all. Um, it's almost like a, a receiver and a transmitter is all that your brain is. Although that's too simple. It's more complex than that. But basically, it's not you. And uh, you're right. That was That's something good Freud did. He doesn't necessarily... Yes, it really was something good he did. <laughs> <laughs> to make us more aware of that. We've been talking um, with the wonderful Dr. Karen Herrick, who um, is with the Center for uh, Children of Alcoholics in Red Bank, New Jersey, and she is a spiritual counselor in the most profound way. She's a serious counselor, but she's having had spiritual experiences herself. She's open to spirit and helps people open to spirit because the only healing of your mind that ever ever is going to happen is going to come from spirit there isn't your mind isn't material your mind is an eternal aspect of god that's what your mind is so if it's been damaged in some way um with, by your life here that's where the healing is going to come from and so that's why karen i'm sure that you're doing a burgeoning business that's why this is so important and something which so many people can benefit from you can reach Karen at Karen at Karen Herrick, H-E-R-R-I-C-K dot com or 732-530-8513. Any final thoughts, Karen, on what, what we've been talking about today? Well, thank you. This has been a wonderful, wonderful program. I appreciate it so much. Well, I thank you for having me. It's been fun talking to you, and I've learned some things, too. Um, <laughs> I think what just... Um, to have people think about what what can I do today? Half a life is showing up, and yes, we have all these spiritual guides and positive ancestors and uh, people from the other side that want to help us. But if we don't show up and do half of the work, we're not going to get the help. So sitting at home, being depressed, and not opening your front door, nobody's going to come knocking and say, "Come on, come out." So you need right. to get yourself to new places. 
meet some new people who might have some, you know, angel answers for you. And so I think I would remember that. Half a life is showing up. <laughs> That's a good point. And, and also, opening your, knowing that you have guides who are trying to get through to you, not, not just your, your dead relatives and loved ones, but also your guides, opening yourself to them. I, I pray every day and frequently during the day, thank you for giving me work to do. Thank you for showing me how to do it. And then I think of my, the top of my head as kind of open to spirit. I yes. find that works really well um, because that's a symbol of what we all really need to be doing, which is being aware that spirit is always helping us. That spirit isn't ghosts, as Karen has pointed out. Spirit is the higher part of ourselves and the guides and loved ones who love us so tremendously and are trying to help us get through, which is really a pretty tough duty doing a life on earth. But, um, but worth it. We learned so much. Karen, thank you so much for being here. Everyone, please... I'm sorry, go ahead. I just you're entirely welcome. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk again soon. We're going to ask Karen to join us again in the fall. And we'll talk more specifically about dysfunctional families and how all of that works. Okay. Meanwhile, please join us next week when our guest will be the wonderful Ann Perrier. Her son Stephen died in childhood and he brought he has since brought Anne to such a wonderful new level of understanding spirituality in our one reality. She's going to tell us about her new communications with her son and other things that are going on. Meanwhile, please visit us at afterlifeforums.com and join that discussion. Now, please go out and enjoy and make the most of the coming week in our one reality, knowing that you are a powerful eternal being and you are infinitely loved. You've been listening to Seek Reality with Roberta Grimes. Joyous conversations about your eternal life. To learn more, tune in every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. For lively and positive discussions, visit www.afterlifeforums.com. To contact Roberta, email her at roberta at seekreality.com. Wishing you a productive week empowered by the truth of who you really are.